Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, where we bring you the global side of technology. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going well. A little busy at work, but uh, we're cro- getting over the hump right now. Yeah, you're not the only one. Things have been a little bit busy for me. I've, I don't know, I didn't get to watch all the WWDC coverage that I would have liked today, but it's it's been... It's been slow, but it's it's been picking up quite a bit lately, which is nice. But at the same time, I've been getting a lot of blogging and stuff done, which is good. But uh, this is episode number 26. I think I forgot to mention that when I opened the show. Um, and, of course, you can always follow along with us at globalgeeknews.com. You'll find all the show notes there. Just look for episode number 26, and you can read through all the stories as we happen to go through them. Um... Speaking of blogging, a couple of things I want to talk about real quick in terms of the blog. I've changed the way I am doing the blog. I'm still doing my occasional lengthy posts. Right now, actually, I'm trying to do one a day, essentially. I've got posts lined up through Wednesday, and I've got several other posts that I'm getting ready to write for the rest of the week. But what I'm doing now is I'm putting less emphasis on those and more emphasis on lots of news. So I'm writing shorter things, but having a whole lot more news so, I'm, so I can keep you up to date throughout the day instead of just a post of my opinions a couple times a week. So now you can, if you don't have the blog added to your RSS feed, do that now so now you can actually get more news. It's going to be a whole lot more news-oriented than opinion-oriented. Although... This doesn't apply to the other people that write on the blog. This is just kind of something I'm running with right now just to try it out. I think it's probably the better way to go. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it in terms of the blog. We did have last, I think it was Thursday, was the biggest day on the blog ever by far with over 3,000 views. So thank you, everybody, that helped out with that. And make sure you keep coming back for all the new stuff. Um Anyway, I guess I'm ready for stories, unless there's something you want to talk about real quick. Oh, no. Let's get let's jump right into it. Alrighty. Our first story, Russia launches an antitrust probe on Microsoft. I, I the story is, apparently, um, Microsoft is cutting back on its uh, shipments of Windows XP to Russia, Russia for both separately and pre-installed PCs. And apparently the people of Russia doesn't, don't like that, which I believe I posted... I think I posted about it on the blog last week. Um, the only thing that I can think of for the reasoning of this would be they just don't want to move to Vista, or XP is just too... is <clears throat> so insecure that they don't want to move to Vista because then they can't have all their bots and botnets and viruses and stuff to play with. I read through the story. I clicked through it to the Reuters story, and it seemed like that uh, they are there is adoption for Vista, and there's also adoption of XP. Both are on the on the increase. Uh, but it, what is curious to me is that, uh, to, to my understanding, I thought uh, Microsoft stopped shipping XP a long time ago, and that the the OEMs that did ship XP. It's just, you know, they buy license keys. They don't need boxed retail units. And so that's what this antitrust probe is about, about them restricting the actual boxed units. 
Yeah, I think that, I think that's the case in the U.S. Let me check Newegg to see if you can still buy them. But I believe that they uh, stopped selling them or whatever in the past month or so. So it, it seems a little strange to me. I guess supposedly Russia's reasoning for this is that there's still a demand for it. Well, technically there's still a demand for a lot of things, but you got to kind of move on eventually. So, I mean, some things just have to die. It's not worth bringing a whole antitrust suit over. Yeah, it's as if they're saying that, well, we want it, so we want to buy it. And Microsoft is saying, well, we're constraining supply because they can't just keep uh, their factories going uh, they're old for you know boxing, uh, packaging, and shipping just to Russia because Russia wants it. Um, they need to use those factories to start ramping up for 7 and getting those box units up and going. So I don't see how a country can demand that another company continue making a product just because they want the product. Unless that other country is going to make an investment or purchase purchase part of Microsoft or something. I, I have no idea. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Apparently it is still available in the U.S. because you can still get all the additions of XP off of Newegg. So... It is still available here, although who knows how much longer that'll be. I hear that uh, Windows 7 is supposed to be hitting RTM in late July, and then of course it's going to be released on October 23rd. So, yeah, I, it makes sense that they're kind of ramping down of XP, and the operating system is, what, seven years old now, or eight years old, something like that, and it's very insecure operating system, and Things just have to move on, but apparently the Russians don't like change. Yeah, um, that's that's very weird that they still want it. Um, I, I, it's interesting to see how this this uh, is this is going to turn out. I know Russia is really uh, up and coming, as in uh, a lot of uh, programmers are coming out of Russia. A lot of interesting software is coming out of Russia. So it seems like their digital revolution is really starting, and I would hate for um, an attack on Microsoft to call them to, for them to pull out of that market to really stymie their innovation going forward. Yeah, I'm wondering too if it could be part of a partly price because supposedly Windows 7 is going to be priced higher than Vista, which uh, Vista, if you're looking at home premium, you're looking at a hundred bucks. Uh, Ultimate is 175, so I can't even imagine what uh, Windows 7 is going to be like. Luckily, I won't have to buy it because I can contact some family and get it through the company store. But uh, I don't know why they're doing that. I know they've, uh, I guess they've announced or there's been rumors of an upgrade program through a leaked Best Buy document, so you can mm -hmm. get it for like 50 bucks or whatever. But that's still not as cheap as what Apple's going to be selling Snow Leopard for, which is $29. Yeah, $29. That's the, the price of uh, of regular software title. You can get a whole operating system upgrade for that price. Yeah, this really shocked me. It's $29 for a single upgrade and $49 for a five-user family pack. And I, I, as far as I know, this is just an upgrade, which that's just kind of the nature of it anyway, because most people have it and they're just going to install the, the new 
thing. They don't build their own MacBooks or anything, so... That, right. I mean, that's pretty much all it needs to be is just an upgrade, but when I saw this afternoon, or this morning, or whatever, or this afternoon, whenever, point in during the uh, event that they announced it, I was kind of shocked, because before, I believe, the um, Mac operating system updates typically run 129, so it kind of blew everybody away when they announced that. Yeah, it, there's been a lot of calls for for Apple to uh, target the cheaper in market, and from what I have heard, heard of what happened at WWDC, it seems like a lot of products that were released were around cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. I mean, there was faster, of course, but also cheaper was hand-in-hand with each one of their products, uh, with the cheaper MacBooks, uh, cheaper iPhone, which is the old version, just cheaper, and then now we have a cheaper operating system. So I think they're really trying to compete against... um, Microsoft and Linux and the value chain of saying that we're not just the the higher cost alternative and maybe they're going through a small rebrand of saying that you know we're not as expensive as we used to be and maybe um, just cutting it down to that much will make it more obtainable uh, for more people to 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 migrate over to OS 10. Also, it seems like they're going to release this ahead of Windows 7, so I guess uh, let the comparisons begin. Yeah, this that that's what kind of surprised me too. Is they're gonna release it a little bit sooner than Windows 7, but Dan and you're right. A lot of it has been cheap. It's there. A lot of things to, that were announced today were cheaper. The new iPhone, of course, which is 199 for a 16 gig, 299 for a 32 gig, and the old the regular 3G iPhone, which they're still gonna continue to sell, is 99 dollars. Which I think that one's like the 8 gig or whatever. But they also announced uh, three new MacBook Pros plus a new MacBook Air. They've got a thir- They've even gone as small as a 13-inch MacBook Pro for $1,200, which for them that's a great price. Although it's still a little bit expensive for my taste, but I I think they're certainly starting to answer those calls and come down. But when you compare the the fact that a lot of good Windows-based laptops are six or seven hundred dollars, I think they still have a ways to go. Right. Well, um, let's talk about a couple of features that are in Snow Leopard. Um, according to this Gizmodo article, it, just by installing it, you should save six gigs of storage space. Yeah, six gigs, and the new Safari 4, which is actually available today for both Mac and PC, is supposed to be by far the fastest browser available. Right, new QuickTime, and the one that I'm uh, really, really excited about, even though I'm not not a Mac user, is the fully uh, integrated Exchange client built into the operating system. Yeah, that that one kind of surprised me. I don't remember what all it integrates with. I know it integrates with like iCal, uh, the address. It says mail, mail yeah. and contacts. Mail and contacts. Yeah, yeah, that one kind of surprised me. But I I think they've not too much just because they seem to um, make a push for that on the iPhone. So it didn't surprise me that much. But it's, the fact that it sounds like it's got native support, so you don't have to have anything special for it or anything seems to be really nice. Yeah, I think that might uh, push uh, more 
more max into the uh, executive and corporate boardrooms. Yeah, well, I can even see more of them in in the educational setting, or at least the 13-inch, with it being as cheaper than it is. And I, I've already seen a lot of stories and stuff on TV of like grade schools and stuff that have max, which I can't say I'm on board with, just because I don't think grade school kids really need expensive MacBooks, but that's just me. And and of uh, uh, some funny things that I'm, I'm not meaning to to knock the operating system, but it seems like it's getting some things that Windows has had for years. Um, uh, for instance, video acceleration, hardware acceleration, um, 64-bit support uh, for the for the applications. Um, it, it seems like some of that stuff is is a little old. Uh, but uh, at least this will set a baseline for uh, all platforms being uh, 64-bit aware. Yeah, well, th- I think that's one of the things that have been irritating me is now that I'm on Windows 7 and I'm on, and I'm using 64-bit, I'm finding a lot of software is still 32-bit, and just to see that it's 32-bit, like in the process manager and stuff, is still kind of annoying, and I would and there's a lot of programs that could really take advantage of 64-bit if they wanted to, but there's still not a lot of people that are doing that, and I think that by doing just a 64-bit version, I think that'll help prod programmers to doing more 64-bit stuff. Yeah, I agree. And uh, um, with the, um, like, using multi-threading or multi-process support, um, I think... The, with the, that being exposed in conjunction with the 64 bits, uh, I think it'll make everybody better programmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Sorry about that. Speaking I got of distracted. Oh, speaking of programs, um, the Palm Pre launched this this weekend. Um, Estimates said that it sold 50,000, and the apps that were downloaded with it ranged in the 150,000 range. Yeah, that, that, that number kind of surprised me. That's basically three apps for every phone that was sold, which I think they could have done a whole lot more than that, but the problem right now is that the SDK for the WebOS, which is what the Palm Pre uses, isn't available to the public mm-hmm. yet. It's only through some um, preferred partners at this point. So I think that number could have been a whole lot bigger, and I think the sales numbers could have been a whole lot bigger, but there seemed to be a shortage. I know the Best Buy here only got three phones, and a lot of the Best Buys and stuff only got like, like three phones, which that's not near enough to go around, especially for a phone that's had as much hype as the Pre has. Right, but it's been hyped in um, the the you know the community that knows about the Palm Pre. The, I don't think the average person knows about it, so um, I'm just not surprising that the people who would purchase a Pre, the fifty thousand or so, would be in the know and would want to play with it, including downloading apps. But I am curious about those apps, if any of those are paid apps. But my guess is that most of them were probably free. Yeah, I don't know. They haven't released any information on that. I haven't heard a whole lot about how the pre is. I've heard people's issues with getting it, standing in lines. The only person that I've heard much from that happens to have one is Leo Laporte. He was talking about it over the weekend. Which, did you see the huge blow-up over that? 
No, I did not. No, what happened? Oh, he was recording an episode of the Gilmore Gang with Steve Moore and um, uh, trying to think who else was on. Mike Arrington and Lauren Feldman, and I think there may have been one other person. I'm not real sure. But they just got done talking about uh, a guy, I can't think of his name, that that's in the tech industry that died last week. And they started to talk about the Palm Pre. Well, Leo said that he got one. Mike Arrington said, let's get the disclosures and stuff out of the way. Did you, is this a free pre? Did they send it to you as like a review unit or whatever? Well, Leo took offense to that, thought that he was questioning his ethics and integrity and everything. Completely blew up, was cursing and everything. Eventually, he was calling Mike Arrington a troll and everything. Threw off everybody off the Skype call, sent the show into reruns, and he basically kicked the Gilmore gang off a of twit. Well, after, uh, yeah, it was quite the event. I, I think you can see the video of it on TechCrunch under a, po- under a post entitled "Ouch." Uh, is this so? This was this was never recorded and sent out, is what you're saying. This was only through a live stream that this was seen. Yeah, somebody record. Apparently, there are people that record it, and somebody stuck it on YouTube, so you can see the video of it on the TechCrunch Pro post. And then between that post and the comments and stuff, they both kind of apologize to each other, just as that it was a big misunderstanding. And so everything's all good now. Although there seem to be issues between Leo and Steve Gilmore now, because Leo wants less drama. Because apparently, this is can be common on the Gilmore gang and he doesn't want that kind of drama on Twit or on the Twit network and Steve Gilmore doesn't want to do anything about it though it looks like the Gilmore gang may be off of Twit anyway well yeah if you're, if you're going to have Lauren Feldman I know that's going to be <laughs> something that's going to be uh, uh, very controversial wow I, I really want to see that video yeah it's only like a minute and something long It's it's pretty entertaining and then all through Twit yesterday, they were he was just kind of making fun of it. Now that it's all blown over, but it was big news on Saturday. Again, weekends there's no news anyway, so anything like it's going to be big news. But it was all over the front page of Dig and everything. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, at least it didn't end in a murder <laughs> yeah. or any other kind of crime. Yeah. One more thing about the Palm Pre story. What really kind of oh. surprises me is even with these numbers coming out and supposedly analysts saying that they're good numbers. Palm Pre's uh, stock was still down almost 7% today. Would, or, yeah, Palm's stock was down uh, during hours 6.46% and after hours another 0.25%. So it was down nearly 7% today, even though, the, in my mind, those are decent numbers. Well, I think those are a lot of people who are hedging their bets. Um, I know, right right before it was probably since it was a Saturday release people probably sold on Friday uh, or close of you know after hours trading uh, not knowing what to expect so they decided probably just to take the money off the table while they still could that would be my guess um, not knowing what the execution would be like uh, just know that there's a, hu- a hype that they would uh, try to cash in on the hype that they that was uh, that was current and uh not, and see how things were and decide. We'll we'll see um, come Friday what their stock is like. Yeah, it it should be interesting. It took a big dive dive early in in the day and then it came up mo a 
quite a bit. So I'm kind of curious to see like what it, what it's going to be like a month or two out after the phone's been around for a little while. Yeah, if you if if I was a betting man, I would say it would gain at least half of that seven percent that it lost back before Friday. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of cell phones, at least someone didn't leave their palm pre behind and get caught for murder. I wonder because they don't say in this article what we're talking about is about a murderer who left their cell phone at the scene of a crime, um, but. Uh, that he was really intent on getting that cell phone back. I wonder if it was a palm tree. Uh, apparently, I, I saw this story. It was uh, last Thursday, so it was probably so. Unless he happened to have a review unit, I doubt it. <laughs> but apparently, or he could have stole it. Yeah. Well, apparently, this guy um, went and committed a robbery or whatever. Left his accidentally dropped his cell phone or left it behind or whatever. Called it back later when the cops were there, saw the cell phone and figured, well, the cell phone probably belonged to the burglar. Well, he arranged to meet up at the local boys and girls club to get his phone back. Well, when he got there, he ended up being surrounded by all kinds of cops, but he still managed to flee on foot. And apparently this guy's not too bright because he figured, I guess, that it was just all a random coincidence of some kind. So he's kept texting his phone to try and set up another meet to get it back and then he ended up finding out that he was wanted for murder and ended up arresting him for it. Right. Also, can I make a note that he signed he showed up to the boys and girls club in a stolen uh Nissan 350Z. <laughs> yeah, I kind of glossed over that. I guess I missed to miss that one. <laughs> so this this guy is bad news all the way around. Uh, and not too smart either. Well, he doesn't look too friendly from his mug shot. Um, yeah. I'm just glad that um, stupid people like this get caught. Yeah. See, this is why I think we should be allowed to kill off the stupid people. Just so we don't have to deal with them and they can't screw stuff up. Oh, uh, well. I think the population of the Earth would dramatically be reduced if that was if that was the case. That's not necessarily uh, a bad thing either. Yeah. Well, maybe we should do like a, a licensing system, you know, like for hunting deer or whatever. You can only can have uh, two per season or something. Yeah. Well, anything would work, I suppose. I don't know. I've been, I'm kind of a little bit of a proponent about of population control. So. Well, not just that. I mean, stupid people kill smart people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but hopefully there won't be any deaths over the pirate party win in in Europe this week. Now, this is a shocker. I, I, apparently, uh, during the Swedish elections, um, the pirate party got two seats uh, to the Euro- European par- Parliament. Well, apparently, um, I guess they ended up with like 7.1% of the total vote. As of right now, it's officially one seat that they've gotten. But if this uh, Lisbon Treaty or whatever goes through that's supposed to add like 18 seats to the European Parliament, then they'll get two seats, is from how I understand this is working. Well, there's an update to the article, and it says that they have confirmed that they do have two seats. Oh, do they now? Yeah, and so Sweden has 20 seats, uh, uh, but it says, but uh, until the, the Lisbon Treaty passes, only 18 with voting rights... This means that the Pirate Party will have two seats. 
Hmm. Yeah. So so that's a good that's what ten percent of the outstanding seats. Yeah. Well, this is part of it was kind of to be expected. I don't think they were expecting to get this many votes. I think they ended up with some two hundred and thirteen thousand votes or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Oh, it was over two hundred thousand. But basically, all of this pretty much came about because of the Pirate Bay trial. I mean, since the uh, verdict of the Pirate Bay trial, I can't even remember how many times over that the um, membership of the Pirate Party has increased. It, it's it increased. I don't know. Mm, I'm trying to think how many times over that it increased. Several times. But now there's hopefully somebody in the EU that can do something about some of the copyright policy, and this is um, making a whole lot more of the um, normal EU politicians think about copyright law and coming up with their own policies for a change. I, I gotta say that every time I hear about the different uh, legal actions against the Pirate Bay, they have all, uh, every single time I hear about that, they've done something uniquely smart about how they handle it. Um, even when they lose, just like when the EU uh, sued them, and they had to have to pay the fine, they still found a way of saying, well, you have to pay these processing fees, so we'll do micropayments to pay. I mean, they are smart people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it amazes me just how many things that they have come up with. But what makes me sad is, earlier today, the um, uh, the court in Stockholm announced that the judge that they had been dealing with supposedly wasn't biased, even though he was a part of various copyright uh, groups and lobbies and whatever, which I don't understand how they could come up with that. They just said that that it just made him more well-informed. Yeah, maybe he just promised. I promised that I wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It, It seems a little screwy to me. I think they've still got other things that they're appealing on, but I guess they kind of lost that end of it, so I'm kind of... I have yet to hear any comment from any of the Pirate Bay people, so... But I'm sure they'll come out with some kind of a snide comment here real soon. Yeah, well-informed on what aspect or from what angle, I wonder. Um, probably not from the consumer side, is, is what I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Supposedly he's worked to kind of tighten copyright laws and everything, and just to me, that seems like a complete conflict of interest. So, I don't know. I, I'd say something screwy here, but maybe now that they have some political power, maybe things will change. Yeah. But, well, speaking of things that you can get pirated, but it's better to buy them used, <laughs> apparently publishers are now wanting to get a slice of the used video game market. I guess publishers are seeing that um, companies like GameStop, which I believe they have like, it's like a quarter or half of the total video game sales or the video game industry, which apparently they get a 48% profit uh, or 48% profit margin on used games, which around here I think it's a whole lot more than that because they don't give you hardly anything for games and they sell them for nearly new price. So they knock like five bucks off. But apparently they're game publishers are now wanting this, their own cut of those sales, which before has never been allowed because it kind of falls under the first sale doctrine. Yeah, I'm going to say that GameStop should probably look into other ways 
of making money because the used video game market is eroding quickly. Um, E3 just happened, and uh, all it's it, it reinforced that uh, a lot of things are going over to the download model. Um, uh, you know, we all we know the Xbox 360 has full downloadable games. Uh, we know that the PSP Go is going to have downloadable games. Uh, a few months ago, we reported on on Live, which mm-hmm. is going to be a service that's going to be uh, fully online, and and uh, all the games are going to be streamed. Um, I, uh, physical discs are 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 going to be going by the wayside. I mean, we we currently still have discs for um, the Wii, PlayStation Three, and the Xbox Three Sixty. But the Xbox Three Sixty is more uh, is is probably with their online game model. Um, they're probably going to re- dramatically reduce uh, their retail footprint. And try to push their users in that and towards that medium, and um, with the PlayStation Three and the uh, Wii, um, the Wii is probably because of the type of storage it has locally, and the the amount of power for um, not able to do a lot of online gaming will probably still be using games. But uh, if if I think anything that's supposed to be highly advanced or next generation or truly next generational is going to be downloadable. Yeah, I think this the used game market's going away fairly quickly. Because once everybody moves to this, there's no going to be no games to return, and essentially you're going to be dealing with the only used game market is going to be legacy devices like your Nintendo 64, your SNES, your NES, your Sega Saturn, or Sega Dream, or your Dreamcast, or Sega Genesis, or whatever. Which around here, I think that's still fairly decent sized business for those old games there's a place called Game Force that still sells all those old games and they do a pretty good job at it, that's where a lot of times I go happen to find some old games that I used to enjoy and pick them up for three bucks or whatever and yeah, but it's going to go the way of the vinyl, I mean there's still a place where you can buy records but they're few and far between and I think the demand is 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 not as high as it used to being and it's just going to be fading away. Yeah. Well, I think if you're going to sell something like this, my recommendation is do it on eBay. I think you make a little bit more money for it than you do going to somebody like GameStop where they pretty much cheat you out of your money more than anything, I think. Mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, the, the, the competition is now going to change. And um, now GameSpot has a lot more... Um, I mean, they're going to go the way of the breweries did during Prohibition. Yeah, well, I think I think they're in a strong position right now, but five years from now, I don't know how much more relevant they're going to be. But maybe five years from now, there won't even be a Wii. All right. Oh then well. Again, it could be here for another eight more years. Yeah, the Wii, um, as we saw from uh, the E3. There seems to be uh, more peripherals that come out came out from it, and more games, uh, but total lack of demand about revving or changing the console. Yeah, and I think I covered this a little bit in the blog on, on my blog post on E3 that comes out on Wednesday. But this, it seems like the other consoles, the 360 and the PS3, now that they're getting more motion stuff 
with the 360 getting Project Natal like we talked about last week, and the 360 and the PS3 getting its own what looks kind of like the Wiimote's uglier cousin or something like that, but is far more precise. It seems like those consoles, with the fact that they have a 10-year life cycle, are actually moving forward in those, whereas the Wii just kind of feels like it's standing still. It's it now since basically the controller is the only thing that's unique to it, it's not really evolving past that. I mean, it got like the Wii Fit or anything, but that's not really a major leap toward anything new. Yeah, and also, unlike the PS3 and the 360, when those systems launch, they were the most powerful hardware in a console available, and people were talking about um, the different kinds of games that are going to have to evolve to catch up with the hardware because the hardware is so so much ahead of the the games. But with the 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 Wii, it was the opposite. Uh, people were trying to program more efficiently and to scale back the graphics and focus on gameplay because the hardware was so constrained. Um, what's good about the Wii is uh, one. Um, Nintendo makes money on every single console that they sell, unlike um, unlike the other two players uh, that lose money with every console they sell. Um, and I think for that reason, they're trying to. Uh, there's no reason to come up with a new console. Um, they they're just waiting for the the decline. And uh, as long as they can sit back and wait and see what the other people do, um, they just need to be ahead of the game next time. And I think that's what they're doing. They're just focusing on their energy of well, let's see what the people want and design that into a, their next-generation console. Yeah. Well, one quick correction. I believe the 360 is... Um, they might be making a little bit now. They're at least breaking even. The the PS3 is still losing quite a bit of money per uh, unit, though. But this is the thing that's always really bugged me with Nintendo for years now. is The, the Wii is only... T- when you're looking at the graphics and stuff, is only twice as powerful as the GameCube. The PS3 and the 360 are, I don't know how many times more powerful than their predecessors, the PS2 and the original Xbox. And the PS3's still head ahead above the 360 just because it has the um, oh, the cell chip that's got, what is it, six or seven cores in it. But And I think the basically the underpowered pro- hardware has been something that's plagued Nintendo for years. And I do believe this is, and I'm sure this is something I've also addressed in the blog post, is that going back to even the Game Boy, their hardware's been underpowered. So, I mean, the GameCube compared to the PS2 and the Xbox was underpowered. The Nintendo 64 was not so... It, it was uh, pretty good. The only... I'm, I'm not real sure in terms of power how it compared with the PS1. I'll have to look that up. But even when you go back to the Game Boy, when you compare that with the Sega Game Gear, the Game Gear was more powerful. It had a backlit color screen and everything. It was hell on battery life, and it was heavy. But technically speaking, it was still a whole lot better than the Game Boy or the Game Boy Color or the Game Boy Pocket or whatever it was that was out at the time. I think it was either Game Boy or Game Boy Pocket. But, I mean, they're... They've always lacked behind for years, and I think that's what got them in trouble with the GameCube, was they were so far behind, the controllers sucked, and the games on it weren't that great. It, it, 
as to where it made the Wii kind of do or die for them. If they didn't do well with the Wii, it was over for Nintendo, just like uh, the Pre is kind of the savior of Palm. It's basically their last hope. That's kind of what the Wii is to Nintendo. And if they can't come up with, out with something sooner, it's going to just make the co- other consoles look that much better because the Wii can't even do H- HD. It's still stuck in 480p. Yeah, I think... <laughs> funny. I think the problem with Nintendo here is that they still think they're a game company mm-hmm. instead of an entertainment company. It's going to go the way of um, smartphones. Um, before, when a new film came out, you're, you would say... Well, the battery lasts this long. The call quality is this this uh, is this good. The signal strength is this good. Um, the speakerphone is this good. You really don't hear that a lot with new phones as they come out. You hear about the applications that co- they can run on, the games they can play. The last feature you talk about is the phone. And when you talk about the 360, you say, oh, you can watch movies now. Oh, there's a Zoom integration. Oh, you can um, you can play your media from your computer and cast it onto your your entertainment box um the 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 the, you're talking about avatars i mean a lot of a lot of the the important part of the game system i think nintendo is still focusing on how we make better games and not how do we make a whole new entertainment experience which is what uh sony and microsoft are focused on and i think if they don't catch on to what's happening they're going to be left in the dust. Yeah, well, it seems to me like they've just kind of backed developers into a corner just because they have limited the hardware so much and it's so underpowered compared to the other consoles that basically the only hope that developers have is to come up with a unique concept rather than an amazing-looking game. Yeah. They need to come up... They have a Wii Plus. I'm sorry, they have the, the, the... the Wii, the Wii, Plus? Wii Plus, they have the Wii Motion Plus, or whatever the, the, the new controller is. They just need yeah. to do a full refresh. I mean, if they can do uh, a new DS, call, and call it the DSi, and add a few features, they can do the same thing. Uh, come, up, come out with another Wii, add 32 gigs of uh, storage on, on board, and then just call it the, the Wii Plus. Yeah. Well, what I don't understand is the fact that they see no reason to even go to HD or to produce a console that has HD. They they see apparently no purpose for that. I see gamers all the time loving their 360 and their PS3s because they're in HD and everything. And now that everybody's more moving to HD TVs with the di- with the digital transition being this Friday, which hello everybody, it's this Friday. I hope you're ready. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there's certainly reason to come out with another console that supports that. And yeah, I think it's their catalog of games. Their games don't even support it, so why make a console that supports it? Yeah. Um, they're going to probably have to refresh everything for it, and I don't know if they're willing to put that much effort into it. It sounds like they're saying, well, we're the we're the cute girl on the corner, so why put, put, put forth the effort into spending any money or development costs into something new? They're just riding this out, and it seems like they're going to ride it out as long as they can until they go over a cliff. Yeah. Well, I'm. if they don't come out with something in the next three years, it's really going to come back to bite them, I think, especially with the leaps and bounds that uh, the 360 and the PS3 have made in the past 
week as far in terms of things that are announced. Yeah. But with any luck, maybe Nintendo will abandon the Wii like most people abandon their blogs. Right. Or um, going on to blogs, but uh, or if what we talked about before on live. If they can get on live working on the Wii, I think that would be an awesome proposition. If they can yeah. find a way of doing something, of making the huge leap ahead, um, the, the, find a way to leapfrog the other two players, I mean, that would be their only their only hope. It, it can't just be uh, about the game, about the gameplay. I know it's a game console market, but they need to uh, grow their user base to more than what they have now. Yeah, well, well, I think that's part of the thing with the 360 and the PS3 is they've put themselves in the center of the living room. They've made themselves not only a gaming device, but you can uh, stream your media, you can watch your Blu-ray movies, you can surf the web like on the PS3 and, and everything. And I, I think that's the key is making your whole entertainment experience go around the device rather than be one specific thing, and that would be... A, being right. a, a gaming console. Right, and they continuously add value. They keep churning out new features that give real value to the console and not just a new online store or a new panel uh, for the Wii. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the, there's they, they give Netflix, they give Zoom movies, they give new store, they give uh, downloadable games and greater game content. I haven't heard of... Uh, a really good downloadable game for the Wii and I don't know forever um, and I don't think they still have the whole back catalog ported to the Wii yet and if they mm-hmm. and they and they're not continuously keeping that refresh so it's just getting older and older instead of newer and newer like the other consoles yeah until they get golden eye on the Wii that that would be the point that I would be truly happy with my Wii and I, yeah. I like my Wii as it is but until you can deal with all the licensing crap and get GoldenEye on the Wii, it'll still never be as great as it should be. Right. Totally agree. But, anyway, as far as I'm concerned, just abandon it like 95% of the blogs are out there. Yeah, this is interesting. Uh, Apparently, um, the New York Times reported that uh, uh, in 2008 survey, only 7.4 million out of 133 million blogs um, that the company tracks had been updated in the past 120 days. Yeah, which means that basically 95% of them have been abandoned or whatever, which this kind of goes along with a story that I was reading the other day about why they're essentially abandoned. It's just that people a lot of times don't have time for it, they they run out of ideas all kinds of different things and the fact that especially a lot of them they hear these people that are making so many thousands of dollars a year as on blogging but they never really get the traffic and they even mentioned in this post the the joke within the blogging community is that most blogs have an audience of one and mm-hmm. when you don't have those great big numbers it says in here that um of that only that the top uh, blogs only get um, oh, now I got all screwed up. Basically, the top blogs get the most amount of traffic, but and that's only the very a very small percentage of those, like between fifty and a hundred thousand blogs. 
And if you're not within that 50 or 100,000 blogs, you're not really generating any money. I mean, like I mentioned before, last week was the biggest week, and which essentially makes this the biggest month, biggest day, biggest everything for the Global Geek News blog. In the past seven days, I've made a grand total of a dollar and thirty-two cents off of ads. That's it, and I think that's a big part of the problem. Is a lot of people here. Well, I can make thousands of dollars blogging, but nobody can seem to figure out how, or at least not with Google Ads. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of the kids trying to get into the NBA also, but mm-hmm. not a lot of people make it. Um, I wonder how many of these blogs were people who were just trying to, because this is 2008, and that's when the credit crisis or the job crisis started. I wonder if people started launching their own websites and saying, oh, I'm going to start a new website, and most new websites pretty much have a blog component. Uh, WordPress became huge. Blogger became huge. People just signed up for accounts and just let them linger. Um, also, I'm wondering, with the explosion of Twitter and with Facebook, I wonder if how many people saying, you know, this is so much easier. Let me just move my content into those mediums. Um, I, I wonder how many of these have moved, or how many of these are tr- truly just dead that they just uh, the content doesn't exist anywhere else. Yeah, that was another part of the other story that I read that was basically along the same track as this. Is that a lot of people have moved to Twitter and moved to Facebook, although you can't really monetize those either. Either so, I mean that I'm guessing that. For those people, money isn't really the issue. But, mm-hmm. but I don't know. For me, I would like to make money at it. I've never really made money at it. If I'm making a dollar thirty-two out of three thousand some odd views in a week, that's not going to get me anywhere. Well, that, that it, it all depends. For hosting. Yeah. Um, but you can get a nice value meal. Yeah. Well, originally when I started blogging, my whole thought behind it was I would like to make enough each month, each month to cover my gas and my car. After that, I didn't care. And I've never even managed to get that yet. Yeah, now with gas prices this last month, oh my god. They jumped another 10 cents today. It pissed me off. <sighs> it's insane. It's 2.53 here. I don't know what it is down there. Uh, it's around 2.46. Yeah. Well, well, have you have you tried this new uh, paid Twitter stream? No. I, from the sounds of it, it's probably only going to work for people who have lots of followers, like the Britney Spears, maybe like an I Justine. If anybody would be probably the lower end that I would think could use this, but it's a new service called Super Chirp, which basically allows you to have a premium Twitter stream, so that people can sign up for whatever price you set between 99 cents and uh, 9.99 a month that basically you can have a premium stream where you can tweet these things out but they won't go to your general stream they'll be direct messaged to everybody who subscribes to your uh, what to your premium stream which apparently you can subscribe by paying with something like PayPal yeah and uh, they also are going to create a, a a website that will just have these premium streams if you just want to go and check and read them later. Um, apparently, uh, we mentioned Lauren Feldman before, but he he has signed up for the service, and I think he's charging ninety nine cents for his uh, ninety nine cents a month for his stream. Hmm. Um, this this seems interesting um, as a business model, um, uh, but I, I don't know if they're going to have some sort of rating system so someone can just choose 
kind of like iTunes and see which streams are the most popular and which ones are good uh, because only the people who subscribe can actually rate them, I guess, because you wouldn't have no idea how good of a, uh, I guess, a streamer they are now that they're uh, charging for their stream. And also, what is this? What, how are they going to differentiate between the regular stream and and this? I think, uh, as you said before, only this is this is only good for the super celebrities. Yeah, that that's basically. I mean, most of the people that I follow, I certainly wouldn't pay to get any extra stuff from them. I'm, I personally have been working a lot on the type of content that I put out there. I'm usually putting out lots of news links. Lots of stuff that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily find in their normal RSS reader, and it's still fascinating stuff in a timely manner. So, I mean, if you were subscribed to somebody like me, maybe it might be worth it. But if you're subscribed to whoever that only tweets about what they eat, it's not worth it, and they'll never make any money off of it. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that this Super Chirp becomes insanely popular, and it bifurcates Twitter to... The celebrities go to Super Chirp, and the average people stay on Twitter, because uh, I, I think s- some of the people like Ashton Kutcher and and Oprah would get a lot of money out of that. But and but for me, I, I would like to remove those people out of Twitter for people who are interested in that. I'm interested in connecting with people. I'm not interested interested in talking to people who will never talk to me. Yeah. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I'm thinking about losing a lot of my followers or dropping a lot of my followers just because they don't provide the value that I'm looking for. I'm mainly looking for um, good links and information stories primarily dealing around technology. And that that's kind of what I look for. Would I pay for that? I don't know. I If there was somebody, there would probably be a couple people I would pay for. Ken Rakowski, his I would certainly pay for. His, the quality of stuff that he tweets every day, is worth paying for. I, I that would probably, pro, that I'm pretty sure that would probably be about the only one that I'd be willing to pay for. But everybody else, I, it's just not really worth it. And the thing is, with a system like this, and they, then the Twitter API, and the fact that you can easily pull out DMs and everything, you can probably fairly easily circumvent this by pulling out these DMs through the API and posting them up to a site so essentially everybody gets to see them even if they don't pay for them. Right. And also, this is still only one way. Yes. So this is uh, you getting them their streams. You still will not get access to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where some of the real value would actually come to is, is if you would able, you're able to converse with some of these people that you, you value so much. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's part of the issue I have. There are a number of celebrities on... Twitter that I converse with on a regular basis, like uh, uh, Britney Spears. No, I've never I've never heard from her. Oprah. No, um, Rachel McAdams once in a while. Uh, Esteban Powell on a regular basis, and uh, Melissa Schumann on a regular basis as well. But not always do they follow me. I mean, Esteban follows me. Melissa used to, but for some reason doesn't anymore. And I, for me, if I'm going to pay for something, I want to at least be able to force a two-way thing. I mean, if they didn't want to follow me as a regular person, fine. But if I'm paying, I think I should at least be able to have them follow me. It should be like a forced follow kind of situation. 
Right, or at least have like a chat room kind of a thing where at least you could throw questions out there for so many time, and they'll go in and do some sort of interaction for the paid followers. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, this is just Twitter, just another way, just paying for it now. So people who were on Twitter before, are they really going to change their content for this new service, or will it just be the same old, same old? Yeah. Well, the question is how many people are really going to be using this or even hear about it or think about using it when 80% of accounts have less than 10 followers as it is. Oh, yeah, this is kind of sad. Um, that's showing that that even less... Uh, there's a huge amount of um, percentage of people that have zero followers. Yeah, 30%. Or following, yeah, 30%. And so it seems like this is what the eighty twenty rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, thirty percent have no followers. Fifty percent have between one and nine followers, and only twenty percent have more than ten followers. Which that's kind of hard to see. I mean, it's not hard to gain followers. I mean, in the past two months, I went from four hundred followers to I think I'm probably around fifty five hundred followers just by engaging in some things like follow Friday and I think there's a service right. I use tweet me and stuff and it's, it's not to get hard to get followers I think it's I don't know if it's there's two things that I'm thinking here it's, it's either that Twitter is a spectator sport or that people just abandon it there's another option out there people are squatting true there, there, I've seen a lot of names that people have registered just so they can squat on it to hopefully, um, like domain squatting has become, uh, people are Twitter squat, squatting um, just to, to reserve the name. And I think if you look at the, the following count, it's showing that um, 43% have nine or less. I bet some of that, uh, of those amounts are the predefined or the recommended follower list too. Yeah. Yeah, and when I saw these numbers, I was completely and totally shocked. And some of the other numbers um, of the accounts, apparently 37% have never tweeted, or and then another 41% on top of that have tweeted less than 10 times. So only 22% of the total people on Twitter have tweeted more than 10 times, which, personally, I don't see any value in tweeting that little. I don't even tweet that little in a single day. Normally I'm like 20 or 30 tweets a day on average. Yeah, yeah. They, they need to find the accounts that aren't following anyone and uh, aren't sending out any tweets and then just clean it, clean, clean them out every Tuesday or so and just uh, release those names back to the people. I know it's it sounds kind of harsh but just put it in the terms of service. Well, I think it's getting to be part of the spam problem, too, because spam on Twitter is getting horrible. And a lot of times you can tell a spammer just by the fact that they're following several thousand feet people when only 25 people follow them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's a good part of it to the spam issue. Yeah, they, they need to... A- I mean, Yahoo, Google, they all figured this out for email. Twitter needs to figure this out for their own service of how to uh, uh, make it more viable, valuable by, by reducing the amount of uh, noise they're on on a service. And uh, 
I wonder if they realize that the spammers are really, really uh, reducing the utility of Twitter. Yeah. Well, for some reason, and I report, and normally I report spammers to the Twitter spam account, which is at spam. But it seems like lately I'm getting no response or anything from them. I mean, last week, or was it last week or the week before, I reported multiple accounts. Basically, they're all set up by the same person or whatever. And the name on the account was like, Ask the Doctor or something like that. And then they would be like the pregnancy doctor on Twitter, the diabetes doctor, uh, whatever, pretty much the doctor of cancer, whatever. Something having to do with doctor. And whenever you'd follow them, they'd send you all kinds of spam, they DM you spam with go to such and such a doctor site or medical site or whatever, yet they never did anything about it, even though um, multiple accounts like that for the purpose of spam is very much against the Twitter terms of service, and they usually try and keep a hold on that, supposedly. Mm-hmm. But they've got some serious spam issues they need to deal with. I think they just need, at this point, I think they probably need more staff to work on spam more than anything. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, one thing that has not happened yet, but I'm afraid that might happen to Twitter, is uh, kind of like a DDoS attack, but but <clears throat> from the other direction. If I had like a hundred, let's say a couple hundred uh, zombie accounts... Mm-hmm. And then I sent you a message with those accounts saying I hate you mm-hmm. with with at replies, you would not be able to read your stream because you would be lost yeah with all all the at replies and um I'm not uh, and I'm surprised there haven't been protests to do this or some sort of mass of uh some sort of people who get together and get this done. Uh, and like send like Barack Obama a whole bunch of spam or something like that, um, but I see that something like that would probably happen. Yeah, something's got to be done. I mean, it's really getting almost as bad as the email spam issue. But I don't know. You'd think with all the funding that they've got, they would be able to do something about it, but apparently not. Yeah. But anyway, that's our last story. It looks like. Yep, that's it. Well, don't forget, you can always read all the stories that we've talked about. The show notes are at globalgeeknews.com. This is episode number 26. But feel free to go and look at the show notes for all the other shows, too. That'd be nice. Um, have any feedback or suggestions, stick them in the comments, or you can shoot me an email at pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. Don't forget to check out the blog, globalgeeknews.com slash blog, or just go to the globalgeeknews.com and click on blog up at the top. Uh, tons of new com- content today I did a very long post or well I don't know how very long thousand words or so on the PSP and the fact or the PSP go and the fact that you're gonna have to have all new accessories for it tomorrow I'm talking about the PSP go goes um, digital downloads and the following day is uh, all my thoughts around e3 and who knows what will happen the last half of the week on there. But there's also going to be tons of uh, normal news that I'm just going to be posting throughout the day. So make sure to check that out. Always look and subscribe to both that and the podcast. Two different RSS feeds. Make sure you subscribe to both. Um, anyway, that's it for that. You can find me. I am PCNerd37 on Twitter. Like I said before, don't even worry about 
trying to follow me on friend feed anymore. I really don't care about friend feed anymore. If you want to, fine. If you don't, I don't care. So, but you are Wesley eighty three on Twitter. Yes, I'm Wesley eighty three, and I would like to say thank you for the followers of Gene, Phil, and Marion for following me on Twitter. And uh, all the other fans of the Global Geek News podcast, uh, please uh, say hi, hi to me once you start following me. Yeah, same for me. If you if you know me from the show or whatever, shoot me an at message, say hi, uh, tell me what you think about the show, whatever. Um, uh, there was something else I was say. Oh, if you're if you or some know somebody that's interested in sponsoring the show or the blog. Shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. I'm finally looking into the idea of getting sponsors on the show. I've got one that's potentially in the works. We're working on it. So, But I'm looking for more. So if you'd like to sponsor the show or the blog, shoot me an email. Let me know. And one quick thing. Um, as many of you may know, I do have another podcast, the Geek News Daily Podcast. Not sure when I'm going to get back to that. I haven't posted a new show in a couple of months. Maybe next week I'll try and start to get that show up and going again. Right now I'm basically focusing on the Global Geek News blog more than anything else. That and I am now writing at TechV like I announced last week, so make sure to check me out over there. And I think that's pretty much it for this week's show. Um, Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think. And we will see you guys next week. Later. All right. Bye.